All right. Thank you, Jesus. Book of Romans, chapter 1. Very quick review here. Lillian, that was so good. Thank you very much. Book of Romans, chapter 1. Reigning through righteousness. Thank you, Father. And specifically within that concept of reigning through righteousness, and we'll see why I use that phrase. I also want to today kind of what I'm calling foundations with within the framework of reigning through righteousness. There's many concepts. What I want to look at today is what I'm considering some of the foundations of righteousness. All right. Foundations of righteousness. There are some key pivotal foundations that we need to understand. I mean, we all know if you don't have a proper foundation, Jesus talked about it. You know, you build your house upon sand when the storms come, it's going to sink. But if you build it upon being a doer of his sayings, speaking of the new covenant, that house will stand when the storms come. All right. So there's some pivotal foundations we need here. Check this out. Romans chapter one. And this is so good. You know, righteousness is the best kept secret in Christianity, quite possibly. Christians, as much as almost anyone in the world, except possibly Muslims, Christians are some of the most condemned, guilt-ridden, sin-conscious, emotionally torn down people on the planet. We're supposed to be carrying a message that is literally called good news. But you go to church and you get slapped around and beat up and you leave feeling worse than you did when you came in. How is that good news? The gospel is not the message that you vacuum and you've got a bunch of sin. The gospel is the message of what Jesus Christ has done about your sin. Amen. Check this out. Romans 1. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the good news. So gospel is good news. Somebody say good news. For it is the power of God. Now I heard T.L. Osborne, a great healing evangelist and, and uh, salvation and healing minister. He's in heaven now. But I heard T.L. Osborne say one time that when he would go to all these other countries and, and see such incredible blind eyes open, demons coming out, deaf ears opening, paralyzed, crippled people walking, lepers being cleansed and healed and all these wonderful things. He said, I never go over there and pray for God to send the power down. He said, the gospel is the power. When I preach the gospel, I'm releasing the power. When I preach the good news, power is released. Does that make sense? The gospel is power that will work in our lives. Does that make sense? So the gospel itself is power. So to hear the good news is to hear and receive power. Power that will work in the area of your conscience, in your heart. Condemnation, guilt, this type of thing. Power that will work in marriages. Power, power that will work to bring divine restoration, supernatural restoration. A power that will work in careers, in finances, and you understand what I power, power that will work in health in our bodies. 
For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, not to everyone who works, but to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. He says that because the book of Romans was written to an audience of both Jewish believers and Gentile believers. Like the book of Hebrews was strictly to Jewish people. Book of Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Gentiles. Book of Romans was mixed. Jews who came out of the law and were still fighting to try to keep and implement the law. And Gentiles who never had the law of Moses. Now check this out. For in it, in what? In the gospel, in the good news, verse 17. The righteousness of God is revealed. So the gospel reveals not how messed up you are, but how good God is. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Now, Jesus said in Matthew 6 to seek first what? The kingdom of God and whose? His righteousness. So legalism, man-made religion, teaches us to seek to establish our own righteousness, our own right standing with God. The gospel teaches us to seek his righteousness, which is found in the good news, the gospel. Now notice this righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. Most Christians, you get saved, man, and you, you hear the good news and you're, you're told, think everybody's probably been here in some capacity. You know, you hear the gospel, you get saved, and it's just incredible, man. You're on honeymoon, cloud nine, I'm forgiven, I'm loved. There's a God and he loves me and he bothers to know me and I'm going to heaven, I'm forgiven. Jesus is in my heart, hallelujah. And then in a week or two, you know, you get a flat tire or your dog dies or something and you think, well, what, well what's going on? I thought God loved me. And you go ask some wonderful saint who's been in the church for 85 years and you say, what's going on? And they say, well, you must have sin in your life. You know, well, I thought I was forgiven. Oh, you were forgiven up until the point that you got saved, but you've got new sin. Well, see, that's teaching a righteousness based upon works instead of a righteousness which always remains in the arena of faith. Am I making any sense at all? From faith to faith. Now, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Very quickly here. Notice, uh, I want you to notice a few things here, and I should have this on the board. Uh, we got the verses here. The good news reveals the righteousness of God given to man as a gift. It's good news because it's a gift. If it wasn't a gift, it wouldn't be good news. We also looked last week at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Christ has been made unto us wisdom. And second thing Paul mentioned, righteousness. So Jesus is our right standing with God. That's good. Jesus is our right standing with God. As long as Jesus is in right standing with the Father, so are we. Woo! That's good news. He's always in right standing with the Father, which means we are. We are seated where? In heavenly places. In who? Christ Jesus. Jesus is our standing before the Father. In the Greek, in the New Testament, righteousness, this is the literal definition. In the New Testament, when you see the word justified, justification, righteous, righteousness, it's all the same Greek word. And it literally means to be in a condition, and it's on the board here, that is acceptable to God. Or to be as you ought to be. 
See, most of us, we've been saved for 5, 10, 20, 30 years, and we had no idea we were in right standing with God that whole time. You think about all the time you've wasted thinking that God was disappointed in you. Think about that. All the time you felt like the prodigal son. All the time you felt like a waste, sorry excuse for a Christian. All the times, you know, I'm a former Bible college teacher and I travel and minister some and I'm a pastor and have worked as an associate leader in different churches. Everyone that I've met who backslid, which doesn't mean you lost your salvation, but maybe you turn away from the things of God for a season. Everyone that I personally know of that's backslidden or walked away from God, it was never because they just fell out of love with Jesus and just wanted to go live in sin and, and live a reckless life. It's always because the burden of the legalism that was constantly thrown upon them week after week, they could not live up to it and measure up to it. And they finally had to throw in the towel and say, man, I can't do this anymore. And this, the reality is I can't blame people who do that. And the reality is, as painful and hard as that is, that's really a proper response in many ways. Because you feel like you're giving up on God. You're not. You're just giving up on that man-made religion that's being shoved down your throat. You're giving up on that burden that's cast upon you week after week that you're not supposed to be carrying in the first place. Am I the only one or have you been there? Man, oh man. Hallelujah. You know, some of us, we don't, we don't realize how pleased God is with us. We just don't have a clue the pleasure that we give God. Do you ever think about the fact that you give God joy? Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Hebrews 12 says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the shame of the cross. What was the joy that was set before him? I mean, in his humanity, I don't think he was looking forward to being beaten and scourged. What was the joy set before him? He didn't die for himself. Woo! It was us. The joy of the Lord. We are what gives him joy. What will give you supernatural strength is understanding is that you are what gives the Lord his joy. It's the joy of the Lord. His joy. What gives the Lord joy? Look in the mirror. Oh, Jordan, that's that feel-good stuff. My God, haven't you felt bad long enough yet? We need some feel-good stuff in the church. Shoot. I get tired of feeling bad. Brother Hagen, I heard Brother Hagen say, I don't get these Christians who always go to the Bible to find something that's wrong with them and to take something away from them. He said, I go to the Bible to find out what's right with me and to add something to me. Blessings, in other words. Now, notice this. Righteousness is strictly a gift. Let me say, if you're visiting, and I know you have to do things, but don't misunderstand me. Just so you understand, we're not upset or nervous or uncomfortable if kids make noise. So you don't need, I, I understand you, you got to watch your kids, but don't think that we're bothered or upset or anything like that. Just so you know. Praise God. All right. Righteousness is strictly a gift. Strictly a gift. It is never a reward or something to be earned, merited, or achieved in any way. It's strictly a gift. There, there's no two ways about this, all right? There's, there's no such thing as being more righteous or less righteous. 
I'm not more righteous than Ray. I never could be. And I'm not more righteous today because it's Sunday and I'm at church. But, you know, next week I'm going to be throwing, you know, stuff at the TV during the Super Bowl. I won't be less righteous then. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus is our righteousness and his standing before the Father never changes, never fluctuates, never diminishes, never takes a day off, never decreases, never increases. It's constant all the time, every time, all day, every day, period, with no exceptions, the end. Woo! So we have perfect and eternal right standing with God. That is just good news. Hallelujah. Again, you are either righteous or you are not. There is no in-between state. You can't be more righteous or less righteous. You're either in Christ or you're not. Now let's look at a few things here, and I'll be as quick as I can here. Uh, and I'll have it up here, but very quickly, you can turn with me to... I want to look at uh, just two places here quickly. Let's start in Romans 5. I want you to see a few things here. Book of Romans, chapter 5. And if it does get too cold, you know, just close that door, whoever. Romans, chapter 5. Such good stuff here. Shoo. And we'll start in verse 12. And I'm reading from the New American Standard. Uh, I usually do. I might look at a few things in the NIV here in a bit, but... Romans 5. <clears throat> Start in verse 12. You ready? I'll take that silence as a yes. Verse 12. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world. Who's that one man? That's right. And death through sin. Now that's primarily spiritual death. What he's really referring to. And death through sin... And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now he goes on to explain how all sinned because we didn't all sin when Adam sinned. Adam sinned. And then his sin as the federal headship of humanity, death entered into this human realm through Adam's allowing it to do so through Adam's sin, which is what he goes on to explain here. Verse 13, for until the law, the law of Moses... Sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Pause tape. Guess what? We're not under the law today. Romans chapter 6, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Romans chapter 7, you are dead to the law and married to Christ. So, and you go on and on and on and on and on with the scriptures. The fact of the matter is, we're not under the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. The law is dead. The law is gone. Romans 10, 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. All right? The law is good, but the law can't make me good. That was the purpose of it. Now the law is dead. Check this out. The, the law was in the world, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. You're not under the law, so sin is not imputed unto you. Now, 
our own decisions have consequences, good or bad. But the point is, God is not the one. Like if you get a flat tire, God's not punishing you for, you know, kicking your dog or whatever. Saying a four-letter word. I don't recommend either, but if there's consequences to it, it's not God punishing you. Are you out there? If you get cancer, it's not God punishing you for something you did. Sin is not imputed where there is no law. And there's much more to that, but please understand that. Nevertheless, verse 14, death reigned from Adam until Moses. So even though there wasn't the Mosaic law for thousands of years at that time, spiritual death inside of man still reigned. All right. Even over those who had not sinned in the likeness or the similitude of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Now, let me ask you a question, because religion struggles with the fact that righteousness is a gift. It swallows hard over that. All right. Now, think about Adam and the spiritual death that humanity inherit, inherited from Adam. Did you have to work or meet some list of requirements or qualify in any way to receive spiritual death from Adam? It was just imputed unto you. Fair enough? And in Adam, you're not positionally a sinner, but not real. But no, you're a sinner for real. Spiritual death. You understand what I'm saying? It's not positional, but not really. It's the real deal. The point he's making here is it's the same thing in Jesus. You don't work or earn your standing that Adam gives you. And when you put your faith in Jesus, you don't and can't work or earn that. It comes upon you as a free gift. All right. Does that make sense? All right. And while I'm on that thought, could you through your works undo your standing in Adam? Like, people were born again through faith in Jesus, right? So, you go to church for 50 years and never be born again, and that doesn't make you a, a Christian. Like, you got to be born again. you got to put faith in Jesus, right? So, your works in Adam could never change your nature. Well, today I drank a fifth of liquor, kicked the dog, cussed out the old lady, quit my job. Today I'm a sinner. Oh, but tomorrow, I still haven't put faith in Jesus, but I did go to church, and I did help a little old lady across the street, and I did give to the, the local charity. So now I'm, no, you, you are who you are by your birth. Your works can't change that. How much more when you're born through the divine bloodline, Jesus Christ? First Peter chapter 1 says, we've been born again, not of corruptible seed, referring to Adam, but of the incorruptible seed by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So we've been born of an incorruptible seed. Just like my works can't change my nature in Adam, my works can't change my nature in Jesus. And thank God for that. And that's why on my best day or my worst day, I am who I am by birth, not by performance. My kids, London and Haven, are my kids on their best day and on their worst day. Their standing doesn't change. They couldn't change their sonship, their daughtership, their standing through their works if they wanted to. 
And even if they left me and disowned me and renounced me, they still couldn't change their DNA. They're mine because they're born of me and they're mine forever. Woo! Are you getting this? Ha! Ah. That's good news. Hallelujah. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the transgression. Well, why is that, Paul? Keep reading. For if by the transgression of the one, many died, much more by the grace of God and the gift by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounds to many. Now, keep reading. I know that's a little wordy, but it'll make more sense. Keep reading. Verse 16. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. So just one sin infected all of humanity with sin. But there's an innumerable, if you were to try to measure the sin from Adam until the cross, like in individual sins, you know, it would be infinite billion times, infinite billion times, infinite billion sins committed. So the one sin resulted in spiritual death and sin for all of humanity. But the many sins, on the other hand, he says, completely wiped out through the one act of grace, the cross. Jesus is infinitely more powerful than Adam. We need to stop thinking like we're still in Adam. We are, you know, the Adams family, right? Dysfunctional, baby. We, I don't know whose cousin it, but don't, don't, you know, we are not in the Adams family anymore. We are not related to Adam anymore. We are dead to Adamic death. You are dead to spiritual death. Can you dig it? Ha! Ah. You are dead to spiritual death. That's why we have the blood-bought right to stand on the promises of the Word of God. On my best day and on my worst day, I can proudly proclaim, and you usually need to proclaim it to yourself, and if any of your wonderful older brothers, like the prodigal's older brother, want to come and point out your past mistakes, you just always point to the cross and say, I'm not arguing on my works. The cross is my righteousness. That's my basis for who I am. I'm the righteousness of God, not because of what I do, have done, or will do, but because of who He is and what He's done. Amen. Hallelujah. Verse 17. For if by the righteousness of one, death reigned through the one, much more. <coughs> those who receive, now notice this verse, verse 17. Much more those who receive what? How much? Abundance, Abundance of grace. Well, Jordan, you're just going too far with grace. Abundance of grace. Well, you got to be careful with grace. You do got to be careful. You have to be careful that you be sure to preach an abundance of grace. Jordan, grace is dangerous. It is. It's dangerous to your condemnation. It's dangerous to your sickness. It's dangerous to your poverty. It's, da it's dangerous to the devil. Grace is very dangerous. Jordan, that's that... That greasy grace, that's right. You'll slip and slide into victory every time. It's greasy, baby. Extra grease on my grace. Hallelujah. 
You can't find anywhere in the Bible where, where Paul or anybody warned against too much grace. You can find where they vehemently, gloves off, fame showing, defended the abundance of grace. Amen. Through the abundance of grace, and notice the gift of right standing with God. The gift of righteousness will reign. R-E-I-G-N. It's the Greek word basilia. That's where we get the word basilica, like where a king reigns from. They will reign as kings through the one, Jesus Christ. Amen? Very quickly, and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to close. I want to show you Galatians chapter 2 very quickly. Check this out. Book of Galatians. I'll have it up here. Verse 2. We'll be finished in just a few minutes. Check this out, man. Woo! Verse 19. For through the law, Galatians 2, 19. I'll, I'll let you get there. I still hear pages. Galatians 2, 19. For through the law, I died to the law. Did you get that? Dead to the law. So we're not under the system of performance-based righteousness or works-based righteousness or works-based blessings. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Love this next verse. I have been crucified with Christ. Jordan, you need to die to self. No, I died at the cross. My true self, as Brother Hagin said, is created in the image and likeness of God since I've been warning it. And I sure don't need to die to that. The, the, the gospel message is not a message of continually dying to self. The message is you died 2,000 years ago. And now we need to realize that we died with him. We died to spiritual death. We died to everything that sin brought about. And now we've risen in the newness of life, in resurrection life. And that's our new reality. Jesus is reality. Victory is reality. Everything contrary to that is, I don't know, unreality. Does that make sense to you? Please get that. Jesus is reality. That, that's so applicable to your practical life. Jesus is reality. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh... Notice that your flesh isn't dirty. Your flesh isn't bad. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. God loves your body. We need to stop thinking my spirit's good, but my body's bad. Your body is a gift. Your body has been purchased with a price. Your body has the right to you can honor God with your body and glorify God by the things you do with your body in this life. And you have provision for your body to be health and strong, healthy and strong and functional in this life. Come on, somebody. That's good. Yeah. We've been taught this dualism, spirit good, but body bad. No, no, no. Your whole being belongs to God. Yes, there's a renewing of the mind. Yes, we have to believe for our body on certain things. But don't think flesh bad, spirit good. No, break it together as the one. Your spirit, soul, and body belong to God. I now live in the flesh by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. There's a lot we could say about that. Don't have time today. Next verse. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if right standing with God comes through the law, 
then Christ died in vain or needlessly. So if we could be right with God through works, then Jesus would have never died. There would have been no point. Christianity is not the message that you can come to Jesus and then do a bunch of stuff to be good enough to make it to heaven. It's the message that Jesus did all the stuff. Will you believe it and receive it? We start at the finish line. Jesus hands us his first place trophy and says, here, go show this bad boy off and exercise the authority that I've given you through my victory. Amen? Amen. Last, last portion of scripture and we're finished. 2 Corinthians 5. Check this out, man. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, starting a few verses and we're finished. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The old is gone. The new has come. If anyone's in Christ, he is present tense. She is present tense, a new creation. All right. The old has gone. Now that word creation in the King James creature and in other translations creation in the Greek is literally the word species. If anyone's in Christ, they are a new species. So we are created in God's image through Jesus. What Adam lost, Jesus restored. We're the new creation. All right? If you could lose your salvation through sin, you, could, you would lose your salvation through one sin. If you could lose your salvation, it, let me say it this way. If you could change your nature through sin, then that would happen through one sin. Adam was perfect. Adam committed one sin and spiritual death came in. One sin. And it wasn't even something, you know, just horrific. He didn't cheat on Eve. He didn't kill somebody. He disbelieved God and, and just acted on that. It wasn't some particularly vile outward expression of fornication or immorality. He just doubted God and acted on it. One sin. Adam was not the new creation. He was the original creation. One sin polluted the whole thing. What Jesus did is better than original creation. It's, am I, are you getting this? It's new. That's not, it's not just language Paul's throwing around. This means something. New creation. One sin messed up everything for Adam. We have something Adam didn't have. Adam didn't have a sacrifice laid up to his account. So one sin polluted the whole thing. We have the sacrifice, the greater than Adam's sacrifice, the grace that's greater than sin sacrifice laid up to our account. Sin can't undo your nature. That's incredibly good news. So you don't have to fret and worry about whether you've messed up so bad that God's forgot about you, put you on the shelf, and you're going to hell. That's a lie of religion. Now, you, if you're born again, you can't sin comfortably. You figured that out by now. It's like putting your hand on a hot stove. 
It's not compatible. When you, when you get punished, when sin punishes you, it's not God punishing you. It's just you're not compatible with sin. You're not made for sin. You're a new creation. Sin is part of the fall. We're not related to Adam. We're not in the fall. We are in the new creation where King Jesus is reality and we are in his kingdom. Come on. That's good news. So we have a perfect righteousness that Adam didn't have. So our mistake can't blow the whole thing like his did. That's the whole point of Romans 5 there. And that's what he's saying here about being a new creation. All this is from God who reconciled us. The word reconcile means to harmonize or make friendly. God is friendly to you. Did you know that? Most, most Christians don't know that. We don't think of God as being a friend. But Abraham was a friend of God. So him and God must have been friends. Jesus told his disciples, I, I no longer call you just disciple, but I call you friend. A disciple or a servant doesn't know what his master's doing, but you know what your master's doing. So I call you friend. We're friends of God. Can you imagine such a thing? We're in harmony with God. Religion has told us we're out of sync with God. We're not holy enough. We don't pray enough. We don't give enough. We don't do enough. But if we pray 25 hours a day and fast eight days a week, one day we'll finally be glow-in-the-dark Christians and be good enough and arrive. Forget that stuff, man. You arrived 2,000 years ago in Jesus. So when you accepted him, that became your reality. Ha! Ah! Who reconciled us to himself through Christ. God did this and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the ministry of the church. Not going around and saying God's going to judge America if Hillary wins. Our message is one of reconciliation to everybody. Because Jesus said my kingdom is not of this world. America is not the new covenant. And I love this country. But we live in a greater kingdom and in a greater reality. In any country, be it the Congo, be it Togo, be it Japan, be it China, be it Israel, be it Iran, be it Canada, be it Mexico. We all stand on equal footing with God. God is wanting his kingdom to get out of his saints because it's in us. Luke 17, 21, the kingdom of God is within you. Father, thy kingdom come. Honey, that prayer's been answered. The kingdom came 2,000 years ago. And when the spirit of God was poured out on the day of Pentecost, the whole kingdom was poured out with him and took up residence on the inside of his people. Woo! So we don't pray for kingdom to come. Kingdom came. It's up to us to release the kingdom that's within us. Does that preach you happy or what? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Our message is you've been reconciled to God. Would you believe it? Brother Hagen said, in his, he's got a small book. Sometimes we carry it. It's, we may have it. I'm not sure. It's called, uh, Paul, uh, I think it's called Paul's Revelation. The Ministry of Reconciliation, something like that. Chapter 2 of that book. It's a little bitty book. Some of you have read it. Brother Hagen said, the drunk at the bar, the prostitute down the street, the worst sitter in town, and every saint in the church, all are in good standing with God. Just the only difference is some of them have received it, some of them haven't. Amen. That's the only difference. And I know that's hard to swallow, but is Jesus a friend of sinners or is he not? Did Jesus deal with sin 2,000 years ago or did he not? Is he the Lamb of God, John 1, 29, who took away the sin of the world? Or is he not? Thank God he is. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf. 
Here's our message. Be reconciled to God. He did his part. Receive it. Last verse. We're finished. Thank you for your patience. Verse 21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin. Now, every one of your translations probably says to be sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin. The words to be are not there in the original Greek. Literally says God made him sin. Jesus became sin for us. Jesus became spiritual death for us. He swallowed up Adamic sin into himself. And when he died, it died with him. And when he resurrected out of that grave, old Adam did not come back up with him. That's what Paul says in Romans 6. You died to sin. Romans 6, 11, Reckon ye yourselves indeed dead to sin and resurrected into the newness of life with Christ Jesus. We are dead to spiritual death. We're dead to Adam. Why did Jesus do this? So that we might be made the righteousness of God in our works and good Christian performance. That's what it says, right? Because that's what's getting preached all the time. That is what it says, right? That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Or that through Him, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is our righteousness. You, you have been perfectly, unblemishably. Is that a word? No, I just made it one. Oh, man. You are perfectly, unblemishably spotless, blamelessly, Paul's language, righteous before God, and you have been the second you received his free gift. And that can't, it'll never change. It is a shame and an indictment against the blood of Jesus and his finished work that a Christian ever worry about whether or not they'll make it. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you've already made it. You're already seated in heavenly places. You're just waiting for your body to catch up with where you already are. That's good stuff. Let's get out of here. Holy moly. All right. Thank you, Jesus. Well, listen, church, and if you're visiting, I, you're welcome. I'm sorry, because I just unleashed that on you today. And I hope you can handle, all of you, I hope you can handle such radically good news. It's not going soft on sin. It's going big on what Jesus did about sin. And I, I always endeavor to communicate sin is real, sin is a problem. And we, we endeavor to continually learn to live godly, learn progressively to live out of our new nature. But we have to understand who Jesus has made us. We are the righteousness of God in him. Father, thank you, sir. Stand if you want, sit if you want, I don't care. Father, we just bless you and thank you for ministering to us today. We thank you that you're here in our midst. We thank you, Lord, that... Through Jesus, you've made us the righteousness of God. Lord, thank you that we have right standing with you. You've made us what we ought to be. We bless your name and we love you. Lord, thank you that 2,000 years ago, you took away the sin of the world. And all that's left to do is receive the gift. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Father. And I know we minister to people and I just, I just can't help myself. I just got to obey God. And I'm trying to get you out of here. Thank you, Father. I, my, the brother in the back here, I know I, I ministered to you earlier, sir. Um, I just got to tell you again, and I, I guess it's your day, man. God drew, drew your number. I just, I just so strongly 
see the Lord in my heart and spirit, just wanting you to know that he's honored by your faith and that he's proud of you. I, I, I don't know if you struggle with feeling that you're not good enough in the Lord and that you're not spiritual enough, whatever, however you would say it. But I don't measure up. But I really sense the Lord wanting you to know he's honored by your faith. And he's pleased with the heart that you have towards him. And you, you just rest in that and be assured of that. Thank you, Father. And Abby, I, you know, I just so strongly, if you got to go, go here, church, we're getting out of here. But this is the last thing. But Abby, I just really see the word restoration written over you. And I just see the Lord, Abby, wanting to do a healing and a, and a great work in your heart. Abby, I, I, I really feel like because some of the negative things that you've had to unfortunately experience, you would have opportunities to, I don't know, let those things affect you to where they take you down a certain path or shape you in a certain way or cause you to act out in certain ways. But I, there's a strong grace from the Lord on you to just do a healing and a restoration in your heart and that you are going to supernaturally avoid some of the pitfalls that would like to be waiting on you because of unfortunate things you've experienced. But the Lord's going to supernaturally take you around those pitfalls and potholes, so to speak, that are, the devil's got lined up for you. You're going to avoid those things. So, Father, thank you for great grace upon her. Thank you for healing in her heart and restoration in her life as a whole, Lord. Sir, we bless you and we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace in Jesus' name. And thank you for a patient church that didn't throw stones when the preacher went till 1235. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise God. Have a great day, church.